I'm going to invite you once again to direct your attention to the screen. And many of you will know uh, Dick Young. He hasn't been able to come in this past year during all of this COVID uh, business, but he is just someone who's been deeply involved in the life of this congregation. And uh, it's just wonderful to have him share some of his story today. So direct your attention to the screen. Yeah, I retired December 31st of 2019 and uh, just noticed that two, within three months, all of a sudden, the COVID virus had started and kind of made me slow down any retirement plans I had. And, and it wasn't long after that, I noticed I was having some uh, problems with my uh, throat area and uh, after some extensive testing in both Charlottetown and Summerside, found out I had a um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma condition. I think in my whole life I spent one day in a hospital, so this came right out of the blue, and all of a sudden you're scheduled for biopsies and, you know, two of them, and knocked out, and chemos and radiation, all of a sudden you say, what the world happened here? I mean, I just, uh, I'm just getting ready to retire, enjoy the good life. <laughs> you say, well, I'm not quite ready for that. I want to play some more golf or have another coffee or watch a hockey game or something like that. I'm enjoying all that. Thankful enough to have been brought up in a Christian home and attend a church and have a good solid background. And, you know, we, we didn't hit any type of a panic mode at all. We just got a little deeper, a little deeper into our faith than we probably would have got without this little kick in the butt thinking of that scripture where I believe it was Paul talked about to live is to gain or to die is to gain and and uh, I was trying to be brave and think that way <laughs> but I wanted to get better too for those out there that know me they know I'm not Sunday morning dick all the time <laughs> I have slipped up now and then <laughs> as Sue, but knowing full well that forgiveness is there for you and you just come back and and try to get past that, ask for forgiveness, and move on and be better tomorrow than you were today. And uh, for that, that's for all of us, I guess, you know. We make mistakes. I think going forward, the lesson I learned out of that is, uh, you know, that it's important for friends and family and church family to do that prayer and let people know, like, that you do encourage them somehow whether it's a phone call a text or whatever we we found that very encouraging uh, the amount of support we got that way uh, i guess if there's such a thing as a cancer that's very treatable this is the one uh, it did involve both chemo and radiation as of a uh, sit here today uh I believe I'm cancer-free. I do have to uh, travel to St. John another month or so to have a special scan. I can't get here on PEI to determine if there is any remnants of it or if, as doctors have been telling me, that they feel almost 100% that it should be gone. And that's the way we're taking it. Soon I listen to a lot of gospel music. We love it and uh, heard a lot of songs about that, you know, uh, uh, different songs about meeting Jesus and there's one by Michael English there I want to see Jesus it's a powerful song but they try to get him up there to meet the saints and the prophets and all these other people and he just well, that's fine 
but I want to see Jesus. He's the one that saved me. That's who we want to see. And, uh, and of course, other loved ones that you had in the past. But it's just an unbelievable journey to understand what he endured and what he went through and leaving a place in glory to come down to a baby and to live here and, and, and to teach us and to be our sacrifice and to conquer death for us. And when he was all done of that, he wasn't done. He had to now go back to heaven to build a mansion for us when we get there. And <laughs> thank you. Hmm. What a peace of mind it has! It is when you've grown up as a saved person and understand this is not the end. There's an eternity ahead of you and it'll be spent even now the Lord is up there preparing a place for all his people well that's kind of nice to know you know we've got a reservation up there and and uh, we just hope that the longer we're down here the more people make that same reservation and it doesn't take much just a simple confession of faith and belief and ask for forgiveness and guarantee your spot at the, the best hotel there's going to be Well, it's great to hear from Dick and to hear his, uh, his story. I know he was hoping it would be an encouragement to you today. We're going to have a couple more stories just at the end of the sermon. Uh, it's just always great when we can hear real people talking about real life and, uh, and just a real faith in Jesus in the midst of that. So uh, this is a wonderful day to celebrate here on Easter, and we celebrate so much of what Jesus has done for us. And when we talk about the crucifixion and we talk about his cross and we talk about his resurrection, I want to make sure that we see clearly what's going on. And I want to take you right away to a verse um, from, uh, well, the Bible. Let's turn to it now. <laughs> I can't remember the reference. Colossians 1, 19 to 20. And this, this verse is revealing something behind the scenes. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And as Christians, we love to celebrate how Jesus makes it possible for us to be forgiven from our sins. And certainly that's a big part of what is happening on the cross. But the Easter story is far greater than that. It's not simply that Jesus is making it possible for you to be forgiven or for you to find your way to heaven when you die. Rather, Jesus is reconciling and dealing with the problems all throughout the world. The brokenness in all of creation. He is reconciling everything to himself. Everything in heaven and on earth. This is no small task. And it helps us begin to have a way to see that even if somebody or we in our own lives don't feel a need to be forgiven for something, we can recognize that Christ's cross is accomplishing something that deals with the damage and brokenness of our world. That he is somehow bringing about peace and reconciliation, wholeness, in a way that we probably have never comprehended fully and perhaps can't, this side of eternity. And so I want to bring this to our minds because 
what we have been doing over the past, uh, well, this is now our 14th sermon that I've preached in Revelation. And over these past weeks, we have been walking through, and Revelation shows us what's going on behind the scenes. First of all, what's going on in our world behind the scenes? Who's really pulling the strings, so to speak? And we've talked over the past couple of weeks about how uh, beneath the the culture of our world, beneath the, the structures of power and systems of government, the way that we are organized, the systems of injustice, really, that reign in our world, all of those things, behind them all is a serpent at work. But Revelation also shows us what we cannot normally see. And that is that through all of this, Jesus still reigns. That he is greater, and then he will bring about the whole world, all of creation, to an ultimate conclusion where he reigns over it all. And that we can have confidence when we go through difficulty. We can have hope and certainty when things seem so chaotic and uncertain even now. That there is something far greater than we can see in our everyday lives. That Jesus is doing something and remaining king over it all, even when it seems like he's not. And so let's look at just now the contrast of two different kingdoms that are presented in Revelation. The kingdom of our culture and our world, of all the kings of this world, it says, of all the people who follow their ways, looking for luxury, looking for pleasure, pursuing things that are self-centered and oriented around ourselves, that is the kingdom of the serpent, ultimately. And that refers all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where the serpent deceives human beings to do whatever they want, to live in rebellion to God. But that results in a terrible curse over all things. We know that curse. We've experienced it in different ways. It can be health problems. It can be job issues. It can be political issues or social issues, relationships of people or people groups, wars and na- between nations and tribes of people. There's all kinds of difficulties in our world. These are the curses that we experience in our lives today. And it all comes back from that beginning where the serpent brings this all about. It's ultimately a way of destruction where lives are lost and suffering reigns, where tears fall and death. But as we've seen in Revelation, Jesus will have the final word. And he will bring that serpent and his kingdom to a final conclusion where he throws it into the lake of fire and destroys it. We see that in the kingdom of the Lamb. That one who looks like he was slain and slaughtered instead becomes the great victor. That he, instead of ruling over us with a curse, rules with his presence with us. Close to us, near to us. The distance that we feel from God, from each other, from ourselves even, under the curse in the serpent's kingdom is removed and instead we experience the presence and closeness of an intimate relationship with God and relationship with him and relationships with other people are made possible and whole. There is renewal in the life and kingdom of the Lamb. And ultimately, not just simply life in contrast to death, but a resurrection life. Life that conquers death. 
that is stronger, more powerful, and far greater than death. And we've seen these two kingdoms in contrast, and now ultimately we want to look most closely at the kingdom of the Lamb that will come to fruition now in these final two chapters of Revelation. Let's look at them now. Revelation 21, 1-5, these are some of my favorite five verses in Scripture because of what they say, the hope that is there in them. This is John who has been recording this revelation, this vision for us, and he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud sound, a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. There's incredible hope here in this, where we see that God is now present in his creation. Why is there an old heaven? There was a problem. What is the problem with heaven? Well, heaven is the presence of God. The only problem with the old heaven was that it wasn't amongst its people. The only problem with the old heaven that there needed to be a new one was that it was separated from people. And God never intended to be distant from his people and creation, but sin had made that divide. And now what God does is he creates a new heaven, a new earth, where it is all united as one. And we experience God. We know him face to face. His presence is fully imminent for us. This is an incredible thing, an incredible picture. Look, God's home is now among his people. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time when we say that God is with us. We saw just a beginning taste of what God was intending to do in all of his creation by being present in Jesus here on earth. Now more fully, he is bringing it all about, again, by the work of Jesus, making himself present to all of his creation. Everything is being reconciled, as Paul said to the Colossians. Everything is being brought together in heaven and earth into this one beautiful unity, resplendent with glory. What incredible hope there is here. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Don't we all wish for a world like that? And that is the hope being made real now. All these things are gone forever. Look, I am making everything new. Behold, I am making all things new. This is great news. This is good news. What was begun there at the cross, where Jesus was destroying death and reconciling heaven and earth, is now coming to full fruition. And we can experience and know God's presence and life fully. What incredible, incredible thing that is to comprehend. Now look at these words here as we consider that presence even more closely. It talks about that with some symbolic imagery. Revelation 21, verses 16 and 19. Verse 16 says, 
describing this new Jerusalem that came down as a gift from God. It says its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Now, I want you to know clearly that what we are seeing here in Revelation is not a photographic image of what the new creation will be like. Instead, what we're seeing is a symbolic image that shows us what its quality is. And I know that because look at that description. Well, it makes sense to say that its length and width are each 1,400 miles, but I would caution you to remember that often these numbers are symbolic, so there's something else going on there. But listen, it also said that about its height. It has a height of 1,400 miles. Can you quite picture a city that is 1,400 miles tall? This is not a photographic image of what it looks like. It's a symbolic representation. And why in the world is this new creation, this new Jerusalem, a cube? Well, do you know what else in Scripture is a cube? Maybe you don't. It's the Holy of Holies. At the center of the temple. The place where God is said to dwell and to be present. In it. They are fully excluded from it in the Old Testament. But now we are being told that the Holy of Holies encompasses all of creation. The New Jerusalem is the place where God lives and dwells. We are no longer separated from God. We no longer have to go to a place. He is present with us everywhere on earth. I have a a seminary professor when I was going through school. He said, I'm not going to heaven when I die, quite provocatively. He said, instead, heaven is coming here to earth. And we have often misunderstood the Christian story to be that I will leave and escape this world to go somewhere better. But rather, what the Bible tells us is that ultimately, in the end, heaven and earth will be reunited as one. That we will experience a world that is fully alive with the presence of God. And I think what that means is you don't have to be bored by the idea of sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That you can enjoy all the things of this world as they were intended to be, far more beautiful, far more incredible than we even know now. That maybe you will be able to still sit down and have a coffee with your friends. That you might be able to enjoy the beauty of the world and creation, that you might be able to play a game of hockey or basketball or whatever your favorite sport is, because this earth will now be good with everything wrong removed. That understanding is deeply ingrained in the Christian story, and yet it's not the one that most Christians understand. We've gotten it wrong. But this is far, far better. So good that the world we will inhabit is now fully alive with God's presence. It is the Holy of Holies. It is a sacred space. As the prophet said in the Old Testament, even every cooking pot will be alive with the presence and holiness of God. Every coffee pot, every monkey wrench in your garage, every aspect of creation will be present to God and fully alive with him. We can hardly begin to imagine what that will be like. But it tells us this in symbolic imagery, that it will be like the Holy of Holies in all of creation. 
It goes on in verse 19 to say, the wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. Now that's probably not obvious to you either, unless you remember how the temple looked in the Old Testament, where the priest wore a breastplate with 12 different colored stones, precious stones that were a rainbow of colors. And here we are being shown that there is no longer need to, a need to mediate the presence of God because he's fully present. We don't need a priest. We don't need to go to a temple because he is there. And all the beauty and wonder of this world pales in comparison, so much so that the description goes on to say that the streets are paved with gold. Gold is so worthless there in heaven that it's used to pave the roads. But here we are being given this picture of God's presence in all of creation, the beauty, the wonder of that. We see this all the more fully just a few verses later in verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We don't need a temple. He is here. He is with us. He is present. Wouldn't it be amazing to see God face to face, to know that kind of presence and power with us? Well, then it goes on. Uh, to look at the life, and it expresses with vivid imagery how we will know life in the fullest sense. In chapter 22, verses 1 and 3, it says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So see, the image is that God is the source of this life. It flowed down the center of the main street. In other words, if main street is like the most important drag, like this is what's the center of the whole city. The whole creation is based around this river. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. What we're being given here is a picture of life in all fullness that's available to everyone who is a part of this new creation. What wonderful hope this is, that the source of life himself is there with us and that we have access to all of this from him. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. What does this harken back? It harken back to the very beginning. The very beginning in, in creation, in Genesis, we see the tree of life. And now there's the tree of life growing on each side of the river. And it's producing fruit once a month. Every month there's new, fresh fruit. It never takes a stop. We always have the provision of God. There is always life available to us. We never have to wait. We never have to go without. We never have to wait for a new season. It's always in season. It's always good. The fruit is always fresh. It's always local, locally sourced. This is a beautiful picture of life that's freely available to us without hindrance. And the leaves are used for medicine to heal the nations. What we are beginning to see here is now how the future will look so that we can begin to live in light of that future. In light of the hope that will come. So the healing for the nations means we should now already be anticipating how God will bring life and healing to all people, all tribes, every nation, every part of the globe. And so we should live in such a way as to see that life brought to fruition. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. That curse that began through rebellion and through sin 
and through people doing their own thing will instead be eradicated and eliminated so that we would no longer know that suffering and stain upon our hearts, our minds, our world. What a wonderful promise. Let's go on to the next here. Revelation 22, 3 to 5, we read, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. The image there of the servants, the people who trust in God, they have a mark upon their head, and this goes in direct contrast to what we have been reading in Revelation. For the people of the world, there is a mark, and it's a mark of the beast. It's a mark of the serpent and the evil one, ultimately. It represents that they belong to this world. They belong to the life of destruction and the curse. But instead, here we read that there is the followers of the Lamb who have a mark on their foreheads, but it's now a mark of life. It's the mark of the Lamb. And so all who believe in the Lamb are marked as His. They belong to Him. And because they belong to Him, they have life. And it says, they will reign forever and ever. When God created the world in the very beginning, he intended for people to co-reign with him, to have stewardship and responsibility for caring for the world and to make new things in it, to bring it to a flourishing place. And he now intends for that story to go on once again. He makes that possible in his renewal of all things. We will reign with him with dignity and honor and authority. You are royal when you follow Jesus. And you will be welcomed as a co-reigner with him. Now let's go on to this next verse. I want to show you this. This is a, a passage from 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we are meant to always, as I've been saying, to live our lives now in light of the future. But what Paul is telling us here and telling the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is that the future has already begun in us because of Jesus. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. When you follow Jesus, you are already beginning to live out the future. Because Jesus gives his presence to you by his spirit even today. And you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You begin to live out the future kingdom already. And so it's already here and yet not fully. But now, even now, you can begin to know that new creation. You are that new creation when you live a life in Christ. You will also know not only the presence, but you will know the life of God for eternity because your life has begun again. You are risen from the dead symbolically in your baptism. You've started a new life, a new way. You are already eternal. That new creation, all things new, has begun in your life already when you are in Christ. So that other people would begin to see that hope that is available for the world. 
that you don't have to live under the curse. Although it may hurt and you may still have suffering and tears, it does not dominate your life because you don't belong to that kingdom anymore. You're living in a new way under the rule and reign of the Lamb that even if you are killed, even if you are killed like Jesus was, you will live again with that resurrection life. That's an incredible hope. That's good news. That's something we should want to get in. We should want to make sure everyone else knows they can get in on too. But let's go back into Revelation as we think about this further. And in Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, we hear the words, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And here we are, we are recognizing that what began at the beginning of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus said to his church, wake up, be ready, I'm coming again. And for those who are victorious, for those who overcome, for those who are faithful all the way to the end, I will give you, and he goes on to name, seven different things that he will bless his faithful church with. And each one of those images, each one of those symbols and promises is described in chapter 21 and 22. It began by saying, be faithful all the way to the end, and now at the end, it is showing God's promises come alive. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the, the letter A and the letter Z. He is the first and the last, the beginning at the end. He was there at the beginning of time, and he'll be there at the end and he rules and reigns over it all. But are you part of his kingdom? Are you still living under the curse in the kingdom of the serpent? Or are you living in the freedom and life of the lamb where death does not reign and it has lost its sting? Jesus has bridged the gap between these two things and made it possible for you to know that life. But he's saying, are you ready? I'm coming soon. And I'll bring a reward for those who are faithful, but there will be destruction, the way of the curse, for those who are not. Let's read the next verse here. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. This is available to you. Do you want it? Will you receive it? Will you find yourself in that kingdom with life, or will you find yourself outside of the city, so to speak? Will you find yourself distant from him because you have chosen to be marked not with a life that is fully alive and human, but rather with a degrading life that is marked by the beast, that is somehow less than you were created to be. What marks your life? Who owns you? Who do you belong to? Which kingdom is the one you live in? Where is your address? Are you living in the life of Jesus? He has bridged the gap and made the way. He's made it possible for you to know the fullness of life. But are you trusting in him? Really? 
Does his leadership and his lordship shape your life in all things or not? Is he the first and last of your life? The center of who you are in your being, your identity, the one who shapes your purpose and your person. Come. Come, let anyone who hears us say, come, let anyone who is thirsty, come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life, it's available to you. Will you drink? Will you belong to him? Will you trust in him? And now let's just look at that contrast again as we bring this to a conclusion. Are you living in the kingdom of the serpent who has a curse that will reign over your life where you can never be free of your past mistakes, where you can't have a hope that is secure for the future, where destruction will ultimately come and death? Or will you faithfully follow the Lamb who, though was slain, was risen, who gives us his fully alive presence to be within us, to be around us, to invite us into an incredible new world where all is right and good, who renews things with hope and purpose and dignity and allows us to reign with him. Do you have that resurrection life that is greater than the grave? I pray and hope that you will choose to allow Jesus to be at the center of your very being, to trust in him for everything, that you might know him forevermore. And I want to now take you just to a couple of more stories of people uh, who attend Cornerstone, who found themselves living in the old Jerusalem, under the curse, under the kingdom of the serpent, and instead have chosen to live in the kingdom of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem, where there is hope and life forevermore. Listen to their stories now. We're in this world that is full of suffering and sadness and pain. And because when I was young, I went through a really difficult time, um, probably starting with experiencing a ton of rejection from my peers, like through, through the school years, the early years, middle years, late years of school. And this, this extreme rejection kind of put me on this path of um, feeling inferior, doubting myself, um, feeling like I didn't belong anywhere, and feeling alone and um, really troubled. So July 6th last year, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 colorectal colorectal cancer metastasized to the liver um, because there was multiple multitude of spots on my liver surgery was ruled out um, so I fairly quickly started chemo in July of last year and that continued I went every second week until about the end of November 
um, when I took a break so that we could go spend the holidays with our kids at West. It led to me choosing to make choices that were not um, in keeping with what God's best would be for my life. And I refer to my 20s as the dark decade, this dark decade of um, wandering and searching and discontent and unhappiness, but making choices that I thought would make me happy, but which pulled me further and further apart from God. Uh, The biggest struggle for me is when you tell your husband, your children, your mother, your siblings, your friends, that you've got um, cancer, uh, you know, terminal cancer. It's like watching a tsunami wash over them. So while I contemplate uh, the things to come and the life to come, they're waiting for bad news. And so I sometimes struggle with feeling guilty about putting them through that and it left me feeling bereft bereft of peace bereft of contentment I had had I've always had a deep love for Jesus I've always known in my heart of hearts that God is who he says he is, that I am separated from God, and that I need a savior. I've always known this in my heart of hearts. I believe that during these years where I chose paths that were not at all what his best would be for me, knowingly choosing these paths, that he, through his grace and love and mercy sustained me, protected me, carried me, saw me through, fully seeing the end. And even in my rebellion, he was gracious towards me. think of like Jill being completely made new again. All of that is removed. Relief. I feel this like overwhelming feeling of relief and peace that finally, you know, all that we do to seek happiness and all we do to to try to make our lives complete, it just pales in comparison to what God has for us. So looking forward to The New Jerusalem is exciting because it's, besides being in the uh, permanent presence uh, of Christ, it's the restoration of everything to the way it was supposed to be. To be free from that, to, to be free from the curse, to be free from what binds us. The thing I'm most looking forward to is this perfect peace 
like no more questioning, no more doubts, no more fear, no more anxieties, no more wondering, second guessing, and is this true, and what do I know, and who do I belong to, what's my identity in Christ, and all of that is just made perfect. And I believe that I've experienced glimpses of the new Jerusalem. Like, my salvation alone is a glimpse of the new Jerusalem. That God would save a sinner such as I, who chose rebellion and wooed me and drew me back to him and fostered this love of Jesus. All of that is him. I could not orchestrate any of that myself. So I know I've seen glimpses of the New Jerusalem. Until the New Jerusalem comes, I kind of just hang on to that, that he's still here, he's still working, and through people and through us, and we're all part of that working process to um, let his kingdom be here on earth as it is in heaven, and we're part of that, and that's what we're working towards. Um, I'm excited. I'm really excited to be reunited with the people I love who have gone before me. My father died this year. I can't wait to see the harvester again. I can't wait to see my grandparents. But even in those moments where I think about the excitement of being reunited with the people I love, I think of the Fanny Crosby song where she talks about all the glories of heaven. But then she says, I long to meet my Savior first of all. That's what I'm most excited for. I cannot wait to see Jesus face to face. I cannot wait to experience for myself his glory, his majesty, his love, his mercy, and this fully enveloping feeling of peace and complete perfection. That's what I'm most excited for. I long to meet my Savior first of all and how awesome and perfect it's all going to be.